All right, so we are continuing our series this month on necessary qualities for a successful family. At the beginning, beginning of the month, I wrote down five different sermons I wanted to do on this subject. And when it came to this one, uh, I put down three things. And so, but at the same time, all three of these things are related to each other. And if you are going to succeed in raising a Christian family, if you're going to reproduce a Christian family, if your kids are going to go on doing what you are doing, there's just certain qualities you've got to have in your life or it's just not going to work. And you can try to skip one of these if you want, but it's just going to make everything fall apart. And so for this week, the one I want to talk about, that, and all three of these are related, but it's three different things, and that's compassion, mercy, and forgiveness. Compassion, mercy, and forgiveness. These are three different things, but they are very closely connected. And I want you to notice what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. And before I read this passage, um, just remember, man, this passage I'm about to read to you comes right after the part about wives submitting to their husbands like Sarah who called Abraham Lord. Okay, we all like those passages where it talks about that kind of stuff. But remember, this is just as inspired. This is just as important as that. Okay? So how many of you husbands think it's important that wives submit to their husbands like the Bible says? All right? I think we all agree with that. Okay? And that's important. This is in the same passage right here. So understand, you need to pay attention to this. And just like your wives should submit to you, you should also do these things that we're about to read right here too. And it says, finally... Be all of one mind. This is talking in, in the church amongst each other as people having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But and if ye suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye and be not afraid of their terror. Neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And understand, probably one of the most complicated subjects that we can talk about is balancing things like grace and truth. We were having a conversation about that this afternoon. How grace is important, but truth is also important. And we should be both. We should have grace, but we should also be true, uh, have truth as well. And, you know, how do we as people, how do we as hardcore, independent, fundamental Baptists, how do we stand against sin and error and all things that are bad while still being compassionate, merciful, and forgiving? Because we need to be that. We need to be all those things. None of us want to be a jerk, but none of us want to be a liberal compromiser either. So how do we do all these things? And the simple answer to how do we do it all right is walk in the Spirit. You know, and that's, that's very easy to say, but you know, how to do that which is good can be very challenging, without a doubt. But I think one of the best ways to learn anything is just to get to know the source 
of all that is good and is the perfect balance of everything, and that's Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of scriptures that we could go to on this subject of, of compassion, mercy, and forgiveness. But what I want to do uh, in this message tonight, when it comes to just picking and choosing what scriptures I want to use to express this to everyone, I thought it would be best to just focus on uh, Christ showing these things. Because obviously, He is the go-to example for everything. But before we look at some examples of Jesus Christ being all of these things that we are supposed to be, uh, let's just look at some definitions uh, from the Webster's 1828 about compassion, mercy, and forgiveness. So the definition for compassion is a suffering with another, painful sympathy, a sensation of sorrow excited by the distress or misfortunes of another, pity, commiseration, compassion is a mixed passion, compounded of love and sorrow. At least some portion of love generally attends the pain or regret or is excited by it. And we, are, we should feel pain for other people. We should feel sorrow when we see other people hurting, suffering. It ought to hurt us as well. That is what it means to be compassionate. It's a really good thing. And then watch this. Look, this the last part, this is in the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. And this is interesting because... I actually experienced this very thing this week, but it says extreme distress of an enemy even changes enmity into at least a temporary affection. So the truth is, if you have compassion, even if you see somebody that you would consider an enemy suffer, it can cause you to have good feelings towards them um, you know, during that time. And, and, you know, there was a, there was a situation a while back, I'm not going to name the individual, but you know, that I was pretty aggravated with, but I saw them going through something very difficult and I did. I remember feeling that compassion. I thought, you know, I need to reach out to this person and let them know that I'm thinking about them. But then they did something else that made me mad. And so I didn't do anything. Well, that same person just this week reached out to me showing compassion, you know, because of something that I was going through. And then it was just like, man. They beat me to it. Now they got me beat on the compassionate <laughs> thing. And it's like, you know, and so even though there's kind of been some hostility, you know, this person at least, you know, showed they have compassion. That, hey, you know, even though I might not get along with you very well, you know, I'm seeing you hurt and I don't like that. Let me make you feel a little bit better. And we should be that way. And, and that, that's, a, that's a good quality. And I hate that they beat me to it. But, you know, that's why when you, when you get a chance to do good, you better jump on it, all right? Because somebody might beat you to it, and then you can't use that to try to prove you're better than them. So, but, but anyway, if you want to, I, I can tell you after church, but I'm not, I'm not going to bring up old, old stuff here. But um, I, just, I just thought that was interesting because it was like the next day I'm studying for this, and I'm like, hey, that's what happened to me yesterday. Somebody that I was at enmity with saw the pain and had good feelings. So uh, it's true. Webster had it. Webster defined this right. And we ought to be that way. When, when we see people suffering, even if it's somebody we don't like, we shouldn't take joy in that. Let me tell you something. That is a dangerous thing. This is another subject. That's a dangerous thing when you rejoice when your enemy falls. You want to get God to, to you know, turn his wrath away. Listen, when I'm, when I'm going through junk, even if I'm being chased, I want my enemies to rub my nose in it. I want my enemies to give me grief because that is one of the quickest ways God will turn away his wrath from you. Even if God's mad at me, 
Okay, I wish right now, I wish my enemies would give it to me. I, w- I wish they would when they see me mess up, when they see me go through something, because that will get God on my side real quick. So that's just another lesson for another day. But mercy, that benevolence, mildness, or tenderness of heart which disposes a person to overlook injuries or to treat an offender better than he deserves. The disposition that tempers justice and induces an injured person to forgive trespasses and injuries and to forbear punishment or inflict less than law or justice will warrant. In this sense, there is perhaps no word in our language precisely synonymous with mercy. That which comes nearest to it is grace. It implies benevolence, tenderness, mildness, pity or compassion and clemency. But exercise only towards offenders. Mercy is a distinguishing attribute of the supreme being. So just understand, too, about mercy. People act like, I'm not going to show them mercy. They don't deserve it. If they deserve it, then it's not mercy. Do we all get that? People, if when you show mercy, that's you showing good to someone who doesn't deserve it. If you're only doing good to people who deserve it, you're not merciful. And we, ought to, we, we have to be merciful. And so another, the last one, forgiveness. I think we all know forgiveness, the act of forgiving, the pardon of an offender by which he is considered and treated as not guilty. The forgiveness of enemies is a Christian duty. Another definition, the pardon or remission of an offense or crime as the forgiveness of sin or of injuries, disposition to pardon, willingness to forgive, remission of a debt, fine or penalty. And folks, as Christians, as free grace believers, for us to struggle with forgiveness is while it is very carnal and normal, it's pretty sad. It's pretty sad when uh, we struggle with forgiveness. Uh, we, we have no right as saved people to struggle with forgiveness. And uh, you've got to be forgiving people. And so what I want to do to help us with this, because again, I think we all understand compassion, mercy, forgiveness, and we all know we're supposed to do it. But again, we... We also want to be strong against sin. We want to take strong stands. We, uh, we want to do all that. So when it comes to balancing these things, so when it comes to knowing when to show these things, when not to show these things, how to just make them a part of who we are, the key is, is just being like Christ. And the way that we can become like Christ is we've got to get to know Him the best we can. And I think when we look at the stories of Jesus, I think that's just the best way to illustrate this. So that's what we're going to do as we go through... Uh, these these character traits and so compassion let's look at some examples of jesus showing compassion matthew chapter 9 and verse 35 it says and jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people but when he saw the multitudes he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. So remember, compassion. He's feeling pain for them. Jesus is looking out at a multitude and he can see that they're tired. He can see the weariness that they have. And you know what? He's moved with compassion. You know what? And it, and it, it caused him pain for them. Jesus is fine. There's nothing wrong with Jesus. 
But all of a sudden now he's moved. He's feeling pain because he is able to see other people are struggling. And these people are a sheep having no shepherd. This was kind of foolish for them to follow them out in the wilderness the way they were. When they haven't packed anything to eat, they're not prepared for something like this. But again, these people were desperate. You know, they're looking for healing. They're looking for things from Jesus. And Jesus, he didn't look at him and just say, wow, that was really stupid of them to follow me out in the wilderness like this. No, he looked at it and he had compassion. And he's like, I want to do something about it. And he says in verse 37, Then saith he unto the disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth labors into his harvest. And we're all familiar with those two verses right there, but just understand that you know we've got multitudes following after Christ. We've got multitudes who need ministering to. And Jesus, while he's here on earth and while he's human, we see that Jesus would get tired. We would see that he would get hungry. I mean, there's one place that it mentions in Mark where, I mean, they, they, were, they didn't even have a chance to just eat. And these things would get to him. Sometimes Jesus would have to get alone. And so Jesus is looking at all these multitudes of people who have needs. And you know what? He's moved with compassion. And what, and what does he do? He's like, man, the harvest is plenty, but the labor is a few. He's like, we need more help. These people need to be ministered to, but we don't have enough people. And he was moved by that. He was hurt by that. And you know, how often do we look at our world that clearly we've got sheep with no shepherd, or if you want to say they do have shepherds, they're really bad shepherds, people that are being misled. And you know, it's real easy for us to just look around at everybody. And it's like, well, you know what? That's what these people get. But you know, we don't need to be that way. You know, when you go, you know, if, if we wanted to, we could just get real critical of people in this community. It's like, well, you know what? I, I get it. Most of our community is going to hell. But you know what? That's what they get for all the wickedness that they have accepted. They're going to these churches that preach garbage. They're not reading their Bibles. They're not saying... There's all these reasons. And folks, there are reasons our peop, the people are struggling. There are reasons people are on their way to hell. But at the same time, are we just going to condemn them for all their errors? Or are we going to have compassion on them and say, you know what? I wonder if we can do something about it. You know, I may, you know what? I'm going to keep going souling. I'm going to keep going out there and just trying to reach as many of these people as I can. And just listen, when you see the state that people are in, they're there for a reason. When you go up to a house and you see the empty beer cans all over the place and when people, you smell the pot coming from the house, are you going to go up to there and are you just going to have this attitude of condemnation? And it's like, you know, these people are in a mess and they're there for a reason. You know, that's what they get for drinking. That's what they get for spending all their money on drugs and booze and all these things. Or are you going to have compassion and say, you know, these people need the Lord. If these people had saved, if they got saved, if they had something to live for, if they had the Holy Spirit living inside them, maybe they wouldn't do this kind of thing. If they, if they, had, if they had God in their life, maybe they wouldn't need to turn to the bottle. They wouldn't need to turn to the drugs. That's got to be the attitude we're going to have. And let me tell you, if in your home you just have this attitude of condemnation and you're accurate in all the things you're nailing people for, you can be this way with people in the church. People in the church are going to have issues. Let me just say it again. People in the church are going to have issues. They're going to come in. They're going to, there's going to be sin in their life. They're going to mess up. They're going to go through hard times. They're going to face temptations. They're going to fail. They're going to, they're going to mess up big time. But are you going to be that person who just condemns everything they're doing? And you send a message to your kids that's just condemn, 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 and you never show compassion? 
You better watch out for that because one of these days your kids are going to mess up and they're just going to think, well, I'm done. You know, I'm condemned. I'm worthless. I'm reprobate. They're not going to know that, hey, you know, I, I should be able to run to my parents and they'll be forgiving. They'll be merciful. They'll show that compassion. They'll understand while I'm struggling. You know, there, there's, a, there's a lot of areas where people mess up. And did you know you're not wrong if when people mess up, you just kind of have this attitude of, you know what, that was wrong. But I get it. And, and, I, and let me just help you in some areas where I know we're always good at compassion. Okay, For example, you know, have you ever seen that person that was just like being an idiot? And then, you know, you, you see these videos on the internet and then somebody slugs them. Okay, now, that person was wrong. They shouldn't have slugged them. But at the same time, that guy that slugged them, I know why he did it. You know, we're, 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 not, we're not usually too judgmental of that person. You know why? Because we, we understand why they did it. But it's amazing all the things we're like, I have no idea why anyone would do that. You've got to watch out for that attitude. Okay? We all have our areas where we can relate with people and we have our areas where we can't relate with people. You know, I don't, I don't understand drinking and doing drugs and all that kind of stuff. But, but, you know, but uh, I've got my areas of weakness. And it's okay when somebody does mess up for you to just have this attitude, you know, I, I get it. It was wrong. They shouldn't have done it. I, I've known some people before. I knew one individual that got divorced. I don't believe in divorce. I don't think you ought to divorce your wife. But you know what? When he divorced his wife, I was just like, I'd have probably done it too. <laughs> she was that bad. <laughs> like, and, and I, you know, I, I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying, in that situation, it wasn't hard for me to say, you know what? I still love you. I still care about you. But, you know, there's always those areas where people, they do, they, they mess up in one area and we're just, we pounce on them. And then we act like we're super Christian because of it. You know, why can't we have compassion? Why can't we feel sorry that some people are stuck in horrible marriages, you know, and just, and, and hurt for these people and care about these people and pray for these people. You've got to have that. Matthew 14, 13 says, when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by a ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. He was trying to get away from people because he had physical needs. He needed some time to rest. He needed to get away. It says, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their sick. You know what he did? He put aside his needs because he was moved with compassion. He's like, I'm going to help them. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a desert place and the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said to them, they need not depart, give you them to eat. And they said unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. And he said, Bring them hither to me. And you know the story. He went and he fed the multitude. Again, it was, it was a foolish decision. It didn't make sense following him out into a desert place like that when they didn't have any preparations. The disciples even saw it coming. This is going to be bad. But Jesus, he didn't forbid it. You know why? Because he, under, he, he looked at them. He saw their need. He was moved with compassion. And not only did he say, You know, let them come, but I'm going to take care of them too. And we ought to be the same way with people. Whenever people are struggling and we see a, a struggle that they're facing, we see a need that they have, there's nothing wrong with us saying, you know, recognizing the fact that you know, this, they're kind of being foolish right now. This isn't something that they ought to be doing. But we're going to say, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to help. I'm going to do something about this. Matthew 15, 32 
It says, Then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat and I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. So notice too, because this is part of being compassionate. This is something that if you want to be compassionate, here's what you need to be able to do. First off, you need to be capable of recognizing someone else's need or what they're lacking. That, that's what you have to do. You have to, you have to be able to look at them, put yourself in their place, and identify what it is they need and what they're lacking. And, and then, and, and there are there's really good there's people that are really good at figuring out what's wrong with everybody. I know why they're on welfare because they're just lazy, good for nothing, whatever. You know, we're, we're you know we're, we're all good at identifying those things. But that compassionate person, they're able to recognize what their needs are, but then they also try to see if they can't help be the solution to their problems. And that, that's the difference right there. We see in Luke 7, verse 11, it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, weep not. Now, doesn't that seem a little insensitive to tell somebody, weep not, when they have a, a family member that's dead? I mean, that doesn't seem right. But think about this, okay? And, and I, now, I, we all understand this is Jesus and he can raise the dead. And I get it. We're, we are very limited on things that we are capable of doing. We are very limited on problems that we are capable of fixing. We don't have to be, that doesn't mean we can't be compassionate in that situation. But notice how he said, weep not. And then it says, and he came and he touched the buyer and they, uh, that bear him stood up and he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. And let me tell you, when Jesus said to her, weep not, I don't think he was just saying that because her crying made him sad and uncomfortable. And you know what? When people are crying, it should make you sad and uncomfortable. I hope it doesn't make anybody in here feel good when you see somebody cry. Okay? Unless it's a liberal, right? You know, <laughs> you know, we, we all enjoy the liberal tears, all that kind of stuff. But no, um, yeah, we, maybe we have struggle in this area somewhere. But again, you know, watching people cry shouldn't make you feel good. Okay? And so, the truth is, you know, Jesus, one of the reasons he told her not to cry, I believe, was because he was going to do something about it. But I don't, I wouldn't put, the thing is though, one of the reasons Jesus wanted to do something about this is because I'll bet it did bother him that she was crying. Because he's compassionate. He doesn't like seeing people shed tears. That doesn't make him feel good. The Bible talks about how, you know, I think the psalmist wrote about how, you know, his tears were in a bottle. God sees the tears that we cry and it grieves him. It bothers him. It doesn't make him mad at us like we've, we've sinned against him. But our pain brings him pain. And that's how it should be with other people. Other people's pain should bring us pain. That's what it means to be compassionate. And then we ought to see if we can't do something to be the solution. Even if that is. Said obviously, we, we can't raise anybody from the dead. But, you know, even if it is just offering words of encouragement, offering words of comfort, you know, when, and when somebody loses a family member, you know, don't, uh, you know, don't say they're in a better place. Okay, if that person's saved, they probably already know that. You know what people just want sometimes? They just want to know 
that you care and that you're thinking about them. And, you know, they would rather hear you just say, man, I'm, I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm praying for you. And, 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 you know, and you need to mean it, too. People can tell. And just pray for them. You know, and so if you can't fix somebody's problem, here's another thing you can do, too. This is, impo- this is good. This is something that we should do. I believe it's effective. But when you can't fix somebody's problem, you know what you can do? You can weep with those who weep. Bible says in Romans 12:15, rejoice with them that do rejoice. Don't rain on people's parade. If somebody's having a good day, you know, you don't have to tell them about something bad. You know, you know rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. When when somebody's telling you about all their troubles and sorrows and things they're going through, that's not the time to tell them how right we are with God because of all the blessings you've been receiving. No, weep with them that weep. Oh, uh, I can't. Yeah, you know why? Because you're not hurting with them because you're not compassionate. We ought, to be, we ought to be that way. It says, be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. And that's something too that you know I, I learned early on pastoring and the weeping with them that weep. I remember not long after pastoring, you know, getting a phone call from somebody crying over a death of their dog. Okay, now I, I don't understand that. Okay, I, I don't like dogs. Okay, I, I, I don't get that. But you know, and, and while my first instinct was, it's just a dog. You know, thankfully, I do have some compassion and I realize it's just a dog, but these people love their dog. They love their dog. And you know what? I'm thankful that when I thought about that, it did cause me to hurt for them. Not because I cared about the dog. It was, it was u- ugly. You know, it was, it, you know, it was, it was, you know what? They're, they're both, they're both dead and in heaven now. So I can talk about this, but they, it was two dogs and they would feed them. They would feed them meat from a store that we, you know, like we would eat. They would feed them like this raw meat. That can't be healthy. The dogs like got cancer, I guess from it and i don't know if it was from that and you know they they had to put them both down and those dogs they were they oinked like pigs they looked like pigs and they literally oinked like pigs and i'm just like i i never understood why they had these dogs and they spent they were expensive dogs they spent like thousands of dollars on these dogs and i'd go over and visit them and i'm just like i don't understand why anybody would have dogs but they loved those dogs and you know what the last thing I, and I, I would never have done this and it would have been wrong if I'd been like, you know, you do realize those are only dogs. You realize dogs don't have any souls, you know, and they're dead and they're gone. You, know, just, they, you don't do stuff like that. Hey, listen, if, if some little kid here is crying because their goldfish died, you know what? We ought to be sympathetic towards them. You know, when, when they're telling you about mom and dad putting them in the watery grave through the toilet, you know, you know, don't laugh at that. Be compassionate. Hey, they're they're hurting over it, and weep with them that do weep. And and so we're going. You know, we're trying to put ourselves in their position, and that's just that's just called being compassionate. And we've got to be that way with people. And so the next thing too, and and there's and I'm I'm skipping a lot of the passages that we have. We don't have time to go into them. But let me tell you, compassion in Jesus, we see those things a lot. He was compassionate with people. Jesus constantly suffered pain by seeing their pain. And let me tell you, 
right, his, his compassion is one of the reasons he went to the cross. Because Jesus, is a, he knew the future. He knew the hell that we would go to if he didn't go to the cross. And the thought of us going to hell was not a good thought for him. And so because of that, he was able to go to the cross. And the Bible tells us, even though in the garden, the Bible says that Jesus sweat as it were great drops of blood. He, pray, he prayed, Father, be possible, let this cup pass from me. But at the same time, the Bible tells us for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Well, what is that joy? Well, the joy that we can have of knowing that we're not going to go to hell. The joy that we're going to have for eternity in heaven. So Jesus, he looked and he saw a future where we're all going to hell and that grieved him because he was compassionate, even though it would be just us going to hell. And he saw in the future the joy that we would have if he would pay for our sins and we could have salvation and go to heaven. And, you know what? and that caused him to endure the cross the way he did. You better be thankful we have a compassionate Savior. And you know what? Don't ever let anybody shame you because of the fact that you're compassionate and make you just feel like, you know, try to act like you're just, you know, you're a softie or whatever. No, there's nothing wrong with being compassionate. We can, we can be hardcore against sin and still be compassionate. And I'm telling you, if you're just going to be that judgmental type where you're just creaming everybody that deserves it, you're going to pass that on to your kids and you're going to mess up as a parent sometime and your kids are going to cream you. And they're going to have an excuse now not to follow you. They're going to have an excuse not to do what mom and dad taught. Because, you know, my mom and dad, they taught me to go to church. They taught me to do this. They taught me to do that. But my mom and dad also did this. My mom and dad also messed up in this area. And you know what? So I don't have to, I don't have to listen to them. You better watch out. That's going to backfire on you big time. You better not be that way with other people in the church. You better not be that way with your neighbors. You better not be that way with other family members. It's going to come back and it's going to nail you so hard. I, I highly recommend showing some compassion, but also mercy. So let's look at some verses about Jesus being merciful. Boy, there's a lot we could talk about here. I mean, God is rich in mercy. He's got a lot of mercy. We can talk about a lot of examples we can talk about. But I'm just going to hit a few. Uh, Luke 18:35, And it came to pass as he was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man, sat by the wayside begging and hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they took it. They told him that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. And he cried saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they which went before rebuked him that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. This is a blind guy. This is a beggar. This is an outcast. This is somebody that people don't want around. But you know what? He had a need. He wanted his sight. And you know what? Even though he's being rebuked, he's being told to be quiet. He's yelling even louder. And what is he saying? Have mercy. He doesn't deserve healing, but he, he wants mercy. Okay, folks, we've got to stop trying to earn mercy. If you earn it, it's not mercy. Okay, we, but you know what? We ought to get desperate for it. We see in the Bible people who ask for mercy. We're pretty good at getting it. And this guy, and it seems like the more you want it, the more likely you are to get it. This guy, he wasn't going to shut up. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? Well, that's a, what, that's a pretty good question to get asked by Jesus. Hey, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, wouldn't it be nice if like Donald Trump or you know, one of these billionaires just, Hey, hey what can I do for you? 
What can you do for me? Yeah, I, I'll tell you what you can do for me. Yeah, I, you know, we, we probably come up with all kinds of ideas. But, you know, this, that's, uh, Jesus asked him that question, saying, and then he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight. Thy faith has saved thee. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. And again, I'm going to say this again. Always remember, if someone deserves mercy, that it isn't mercy. If you have to have a discussion about whether or not somebody is worthy of mercy, just understand, if you come to the conclusion that they are worthy, then you're not showing mercy. It's okay for you to just go ahead and be merciful. It's okay for you to do that. Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. There's a good reason to be merciful right there. And again, we're saying all these things because all of these things we're talking about, I'm here telling you based on experience, based on what I see in the Word of God, that if you don't have these things, you are not going to pass on your faith and your way of life to your children. And that's, what, that's, what I'm, that's one of my goals. I want to pass on this way of life that I preach, that I have practiced. I want to pass it on to my children. And it's just not going to happen if I don't have mercy with people. If I am not good to people who don't deserve it, and the Bible says, Blessed are they merciful, they shall obtain mercy. And I believe that's probably primarily talking about receiving mercy from God, but I think it also is about receiving mercy from other people too. If people show, see you showing mercy to others, they're going to be more likely to show mercy to you. The people you show mercy to, are going to be more likely to show mercy back to you if you if you do those things. You think the next time I have a chance to show compassion towards that one individual that I'm not going to do it next time? I'm not I'm not cuz I'm not going to let him do it to me twice before I get to do it once. It's not that's not going to happen. So, you know, understand you are much more likely to get these things back when you get it. it it's it's so important that you do that. Luke 6.36 says, or Luke uh, 6.35, But love ye your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, even as your Father also is merciful. And let me tell you something about mercy. Mercy should be a priority in our Christian life. Okay, As, as Baptists, we have certain things that we are known for talking about and certain qualities and practices that we are known for talking about. But let me tell you, mercy ought to be way up there. If we're trying to talk about attributes of a good Christian, mercy should be way up there. Look, in in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. Now, Baptists are known for preaching about tithing. And let me tell you, tithing is a good thing. We ought to preach about that. But notice how Jesus told these people, you're paying tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Hey, you're focusing on these little things while you're ignoring the more important things, the weightier matters. What are those? Judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done 
and not to let the other undone. So Jesus didn't want them to quit paying tithes like they were, but he didn't want them to omit more important things like mercy, judgment, and faith. And notice how he mercy and judgment are together. And we don't have we don't have a whole lot of time to talk about this. But did you know that when it comes to judgment, when you look at the Bible, when you read the Old Testament, that it's just, I mean, it seems like it's death for everything. It's just like death, 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 fourfold, you know, stripes. I mean, it's like, man, these are some pretty harsh punishments in here. But did you know that according to the law, Jesus said part of what they're supposed to do as they judge people is they're all supposed to have mercy too. And you know, we're allowed to do that. There are areas where we are allowed to have mercy. Now, again, I don't think it would be right. I don't think it's right for a judge to show mercy in an area, for example, like murder or something, because the person who the offense was done to is dead. They can't show mercy. But when it comes to things done to us, okay, for sure, we, we can say, you know what, I'm going to let this go. For sure, we can have mercy. I do think when it comes to judges, uh, judging outside matters, that you know they need to drop the hammer a little more. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about all those different examples. But judgment and mercy are very important. Judge, and some people, they're all about judgment, judgment, judgment. What does the Bible say? Eye for eye, teeth for a tooth. That's in there. But you know what else is in there? Mercy's in there too. And there are, there are times where we can and we should and we need to show mercy. You need to do that. And, and also faith. We've got to include these things. Mercy should be a priority in our Christian life. And I'm telling you right now, if you are not showing mercy to other people, if you do not have that in your life, your kids, as soon as their flesh starts being tempted towards the things of the world, they are going to have a million reasons that they can nail you and cream you for not being a good Christian, for being a hypocrite, for not being consistent. Folks, anybody can do that. And let me tell you something uh, just about a church, about a family. If we are going to have multiple people regularly coming together, being amongst each other, and these people are alive and breathing, offenses are going to take place. And are we going to just hold everybody's feet to the fire on everything wrong they do? What kind of church are we going to have then? And we need to have judgment. Sometimes we're going to need to deal with things. But you know what? We've got to have mercy too. We've got, we've got to have that in there. Otherwise, we are just going to all be offending everybody. I mean, let me tell you, if, you, if you're carrying around a book keeping track of things people are doing wrong, you know, boy, you're not going to be a very happy person. Because there's always offenses. People have bad days. Can't be that way. But then the last thing, forgiveness. Luke 23, 33. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. After he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What do they do? They're gambling over his garment. He's not even dead yet. How would you like that if you were in your house and maybe you're on hospice or something and they're there taking care of you and everybody's walking around the house and like your family's all there. All right. And they start taking your stuff before you've even died. 
Now, that wouldn't make you feel very good, would it? But here Jesus is paying for the sins of the world. He hasn't even done anything wrong. And while he's there praying for the people who are crucifying him, what are they? they're gambling over his garment. Now, let me tell you, we're all familiar with that statement, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But just understand, that's there in the Bible for a reason. And let me tell you, you will never out-forgive Jesus Christ. He'll, he'll never do it. I don't know if I can forget. Yes, you can. Okay? Yes, you can. The question is not, can I forgive? The, and the question is, will I forgive? And yes, you can do this. Yes, you should do this. Yes, you better do this. Bible says in Matthew 6:14, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you, forgive your trespasses. And understand, this isn't about salvation right here. This is a pray, what a lot of people call it the Lord's prayer. It should be called the disciples' prayer. The disciples wanted to know how to pray. Jesus told his disciples. Jesus told men who were already saved, "Here's how you ought to pray." And when he says, "Forgive us our trespasses," as we forgive those who trespass against us, understand that we need God's forgiveness every day. Do we really want God holding us accountable for every sin that we do every day? I don't. I want forgiveness. I want mercy. So you know what we need to do in our day-to-day life as Christians? We need to forgive people. And if we don't, God's not going to forgive us. Really? So that, that person owed you 20 bucks and they took too long to pay it back? and you're turning it into collections, and you're hurting their credit, fine. You know what? You know, yeah, you know what? I, I'm going to make sure that, you know, that credit card company that you owe $100 to, I'm going to make sure they cream you with fees, and I, God's going God's gonna to let stuff like that happen. I, I don't pretend to know how God's going to do everything, but it is going to be something along those lines. Fine, you know what? You're not going to give that $20? I'll get that $20 from you. You know what? You're going to get a nail in your tire. You know, you're going to have to go. I, I said, I don't know how God's going to do it, but he's going to do it. And I don't know about you. I don't, I don't want to be wasting my time and my money just making payment for just everything I mess up and do wrong. But you know what? You better not do that with other people. God's going to see that and God is going to judge you just like you judge everybody else. And so that is for, that's for saved people Right there in that passage, we see in Luke six seven thirty nine. Now, when the Pharisees, which had been in him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, "This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner." And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed five hundred pence, the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore. Which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave the most, and he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many. And she had a lot of sins. And people were talking about all those sins. And they were right about those sins that they were nailing nailing her for. But guess what? Those sins didn't matter because Jesus said they're forgiven. You know what that means? Clean slate. 
You know what that means? She's equal with the guy who only has a few sins, whose sins have also been forgiven. In fact, if she, she's actually better than the guy who only has a few sins, but haven't gotten forgiveness yet. So Jesus said, their sins are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And folks, that word forgave, forgiven, that, that's a word that ought to excite us. We ought, we ought to like using that word. You know, the word forgave, I just looked this up on Esword. The word forgave is used one time in the Old Testament, six times in the New Testament. Forgiven is 18 times in the Old Testament, 24 in the New Testament. And did you know most of the Old Testament verses where it says forgiven, it was showing how they would get forgiveness after they offered a sacrifice for something. So, and understand, we, under the New and Better Covenant, forgiveness is so much easier than what it was back then. The word forgive is 28 times in the Old Testament and 28 times in the New Testament. But remember, most of the Bible is Old Testament. I mean, look how much we're seeing that in the, in the New Testament. Forgiveth, it's just one time in the Old. It's not, that word's not in the New. But it's amazing how much we see that word. And, and the, the law... It, what show, it shows us our need for forgiveness. When we, and that's why, I think, and then the New Testament, it does such a wonderful job of showing us that forgiveness that has been granted and what a wonderful thing it is. And you know, one of the reasons so many people bail out on the life of a Christian and church life is because there's been too many offenses. What is it that you hear on all the podcasts? I went to a church and they did this to me. This happened to me and... They, they want to talk about, it's like they got a whole list of offenses, like they've been keeping track. I'm telling you, man, if you've got a book, if you've got files you're saving on people, you've got screenshots you've been saving, I highly recommend you delete it for your sake. Now, I'm, I'm going to hold these people accountable. Okay, just remember, God's saving screenshots then. God's, God's keeping track of all these things. You're going to keep track like that? I highly recommend just forgiving. Maybe God will throw out some stuff He's got on you. Just, I, I, don't, I don't think that's a good, good idea. But let me tell you, I, I wouldn't doubt most people who talk about all the wrong they've endured in churches are probably telling the truth. But my question is, though, when people talk about all these things are done, it's like, why, why didn't you just forgive? I mean, here you are 20 years later and you're still bitter. You're still miserable. You've not been able to move forward in your life. Why didn't you just forgive them? You know, we, we, can't, we can't keep accounts on people. For one, we've been commanded not to. That's one reason why we can't. But also, it's, it's, a too, it's too great a burden to carry. And not only do we carry that burden, but then we have to live in a world where we're keeping accounts, where people are keeping accounts on us too. And I want forgiveness. We need forgiveness. We have got to learn how to truly let things go. And let me tell you, your kids have got to see you do that. Your kids have got to see you do that for several reasons. One, if they see you do it, it'll tell them, if I mess up, I can get help from mom and dad. But another reason they need to see you do that is for when you mess up, that way you're not giving them an excuse to just bail on the things of God and give up. 
But if you are, if you're just constantly creaming everybody with the letter of the law, that's how it's going to be for you. And that is no way to live. And nobody wants to live that way. Your kids aren't going to want to live that way. They are going to want to escape as soon as they are able. And so I highly recommend you practice these three things, compassion, mercy, and forgiveness. Make sure it is a part of who you are. Make sure your kids see examples of you practicing these things. Make sure it's real. Let it be who you are. And if it's who you are as parents, it'll be who your kids are. That's who, that's who they will be. And they will be more like Christ. They'll be happier and they will be much more likely to continue this life that we're trying to promote. So with that, let's pray dear Lord. I thank you so much for uh, these examples and your word, Lord. There's so many more scriptures we could have gone to, but Lord, we thank you for the life that you lived on earth and the example that you set for us. And I pray you'll help us, Lord, to uh, walk in your steps. In your name we pray. Amen.